So Ray, you've written this piece for us this week, and, and, and really it's all about the quest to find the female Viagra, isn't it? And, um, and it's a strange tale of farmer feminists and, and this bed, bid to, to, to turn a failed antidepressant into, into the world's, well, first blockbuster sex pill for women. Um, can, can we just kick off by, can you tell me the name of this drug and, and who's actually marketing it? So the name of the drug we're talking about is Flabanserin. It's a. Uh, it's that rings old... a bell with me. That name. Does it? <laughs> well, well, flibanserin uh, <laughs> was an old uh, potential antidepressant that never worked out as an antidepressant, and somehow has come back and uh, revisited us as a potential blockbuster sex pill for women. It's currently it was being uh, market it was being promoted by a German drug company called Boehringer Ingelheim, but they uh, after it failed for them they sold it to a company called Sprout Pharmaceuticals, a small company called Sprout Pharmaceuticals, and they're currently trying to get the drug uh, up and approved in the United States. Great. I mean, from the outside, I mean, I can't see what's so wrong with this. When you initially read the first couple of lines of this story, um, the it is true, isn't it, that that men outscore women twenty six to zero when it comes to FDA approved treatments um, uh, for sexual dysfunction, um, and 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 so this this quest to find the female Viagra seems to be, you know, quite an important one. Well, look, the, 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 there's, the, this is a complex. This is a complex story. First of all, the 26-0 figure has been heavily criticised because the 26 includes a whole bunch of generic versions, so similar drugs. Uh, also, the actual indications for which those uh, many of those drugs are approved are not technically sexual dysfunction. They're things like erectile dysfunction and, and other forms of um, sexual problems. Leaving aside that, the the even the score campaign is running heavily on this idea uh, of uh, gender equality um, and the and and the implicit and explicit argument of even the score with the, this new campaign is that the the regulators need to take into account gender equality when they're making decisions about approving drugs I see. and i think and and i think that the as the feature, the, the BMJ feature that we're discussing, uh, discussing makes clear, uh, there are a number of, of critics of even the score who are extremely concerned about the potential implications that this campaign might have. So how has a drug with such an unsuccessful history come back into the public eye? I mean, there's clearly well, a successful um, campaign behind this. Not only have you got a new drug company behind it, uh, new money, um, there's a very successful campaign. And as you say, it's called Even the School. And perhaps you can, you, can, you can tell us a bit about who's behind the campaign, who's backing the campaign, and, and a bit about the, the website, which is extremely slick, isn't it? It's got some big names on mm. it. That's right. Well, the the even the score is a, is a, it's it's a marketing campaign that just sort of emerged a few months ago, 
Um, it's 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 on the website. The there are a number of organisations uh, listed there as as backing the campaign. There's a number of companies, including Sprout Pharmaceuticals. There's a number of of, of women's organisations that are supporting it. Uh, there's a number of um, kind of academic uh, and and other outfits that are also supporting it. So it does it does have support. What's not clear on the website is how this campaign arose. What was the genesis of it? Mm. Who's driving it? Who were the key funders? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's something that the, the BMJ feature that I've just written tries to explore a little bit about um, and, uh, and, you know, tries to tease out what are the, some of the motivations of the different players. Be because you do have, I suppose, two very different players here. You've got, you've got the drug companies desperate to 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 get a drug approved because they can see a very very large market sitting there and you've got feminist organizations who ostensibly have no interest in getting drugs approved but have an interest in fairness and justice and women's rights and what we've seen is uh is an alliance built uh, between those two different players, a bridge built between those two different sectors in society. Mm -hmm. Now, the, 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 whether the foundations of that bridge are, are sturdy or, or based on uh, a lot of uh, a lot of marketing is is the big question. And, and, and obviously, there, there there are some critics of this campaign that are coming out now. And, and you quote one person called Cynthia Pearson in your feature, who says, "Look, this is a marketing campaign, not a science-based effort." And I know this is something that you've written about time and time and again in your career, Ray, about marketing of disease. That that's right. Well, what what I've written about in a number of pieces in the BMJ and elsewhere in a number of books is the way in which marketing and medical science tends to merge and 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 the sad reality is that when we're talking about this construct called female sexual dysfunction uh, the marketing and the medical science are very hard to disentangle mm. partly partly because the pharmaceutical industry has been so desperate since the the, the launch of Viagra and its competitor pills and the, and the rise of that that male sex pill market uh, industry has been so desperate to unlock uh, what they see as a potential market there for for a, for a female f similar female pill, um, but but you know it may well be that the reality of female sexuality is different from the reality of male sexuality in in some ways that that make the achievement of of this mass market uh, problematic, and and I think we've seen repeatedly uh, drugs, uh, potential drugs that are seen as blockbusters, starting with Viagra, uh, seen as blockbusters for women, essentially fail to beat the placebo. Uh, and, that, and that's the same problem with phlebanserin. In, in all the evidence so far, it looks as if it's not really meaningfully beating the placebo. So here, let's, let's, let's bring us on to the drug then. So let's talk, could we talk a little bit about its history and why does it keep coming a cropper at the FDA approval stage? Um, as you say in your feature, this, this particular drug has failed three times to gain approval. Um, can you talk, talk us through some of um, mm. the, the questions well, over its efficacy and also I think there are some safety concerns. 
There are. Well, br- briefly, Rebecca, the, 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 the first time it failed, it re- my understanding is it didn't go to any regulator. So it was, it was hoped that this was going to be an antidepressant and there's some, there's some scientific literature, uh, you know, from the early days of phlebanserin when it was touted as a potential antidepressant. Now, that literature sort of, sort of dries up in the, in the 2000s, uh, maybe a decade or so ago, and it's not clear to me exactly what happened, but it looks as if the drug, uh, the evidence wasn't there to support it as an antidepressant, so, uh, so it didn't go ahead. Perhaps it did go to a regulator somewhere, I'm not aware of that. Uh, but then it comes back in 2010, uh, and Boehringer Ingelheim, the German company, get it to the stage where the FDA puts it out to consideration by an advisory committee. Um, the advisory committee uh, absolutely tears the drug to pieces, tears the evidence to pieces. The FDA review of the evidence from Boehringer Ingelheim is extraordinary. I read, I read the review, I read the, the transcript of the, of the advisory committee meeting back in 2010. Um, you know, the, the, there was no way that any rational person who didn't have a vested interest could see this as a genuine potential effective treatment. Not only did it barely beat the placebo, um, in fact, I think the, re- the reviewers suggest that it didn't actually beat the placebo, but it had a range of side effects, sleepiness, uh, dizziness, um, and some severe side effects, including fainting. Um, now, bad things can happen to people when they faint. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so because of that, because of the, the lack of meaningful benefit, the real risk of potential harm, the FDA in 2010 rejected the drug. Um, Sprout Pharmaceuticals comes along. It puts up new data to the FDA in the last couple of years. The FDA again says, we're sorry, you know, in our minds, this isn't enough to, uh, to approve this drug. Sprout Pharmaceuticals, extremely keen, very aggressive, small player, very keen to unlock this market. They're not giving up. They're in negotiation with the FDA as we speak about about trying to win approval for this drug. Whether or not it comes back to another advisory committee will be will be fascinating to see. Um, so is it possible that it might not come back to an advisory committee then? You know, Rebecca, I'm not clear on the answer to that question. Mm. Uh, it's, uh, my understanding is that the FDA is not required to send out every drug to a advisory committee. Perhaps they are. I'm not clear exactly, but... Uh, I, I would have thought that it would come back to an advisory committee, but, uh, but, uh, but I'm not clear on that. That's really interesting. I mean, so we've got a, a drug with a checkered history, which is seeking uh, to treat uh, what is a sort of discredited disorder. I mean, it, it, it wants to treat something called hyperactive sexual dis- desire dis- disorder. Um, and as your feature um, explains, this, this disorder no longer actually officially exists, does it? Well, that's a bizarre. That's a bizarre twist to this story, isn't it? You've got, you've got a you've got a company uh, promoting a drug for a condition that's no longer listed in the uh, in in the DSM five, the Diagnostical and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. This is this is this kind of bible where these uh, disorders are listed, and the notion that there is a disorder called HSDD, Hypoactive Sexual Desire Disorder. Um, 
you know, it's 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 always been a controversial notion, as we as we talk about in the piece, but so controversial that it's now been removed and sort of rolled into a new, different uh, disorder with a different name. Um, this whole area of female sexual difficulties, female sexual disorders, it's it's fraught, it's complex, it's controversial. There are very different views within the communities of sex therapists and sex researchers. They're, they're, to put, put it crudely, there's one lobby that wants to see this as a, as, as a suite of medical disorders that can be treated with drugs. There's another lobby that sees it very differently and sees things uh, are much more complex than that. It's not opposed to drugs, but, but, but just sees a, a real danger in trying to reduce the complexity of, 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 of women's sexual difficulties to a problem that can be treated with a pharmacological solution. And fascinatingly, in your feature, you, you actually interview um, some of the um, clinicians and experts that were involved in the decision to remove hypoactive sexual desire disorder from the DSM-5. That's right, and uh, yeah. Cynthia Graham is one of, uh, you know, she's a very widely respected uh, sex a researcher in the world, she edits one of the leading journals, and she is, I think, to put it mildly, horrified by what she sees uh, in even the score. And she uh, talks like, about this discredited claim um, that you know, 43% of women suffer from sexual dysfunction. And she says, you know, they're putting out information that's exceedingly misleading, and it's propaganda. That's right, and she's she she is very alarmed um, about what she sees here. <coughs> Because she sees a campaign that's accusing the FDA, the world, one of the world's most influential and powerful regulators, of unfairness. And she sees that, as an expert in this field, as utterly and totally wrong. Mm. She says that the FDA has rejected uh, potential drugs uh, for these conditions for very, very sound reasons, including rejecting phlebanserin uh, in 2010 and again last year. Um, Cynthia Graham's comments in the feature are uh, very powerful and, and very strong and, uh, and, and I think uh, she's also um, been one of those uh, researchers who has, um, I, I suppose, seen the construct of a desire disorder as highly problematic. And, and there's a whole interesting history here about the way in which these disorders have been created and, and debated. Um, and that that history is now uh, playing out again in this in this campaign. Mm. I mean, the, just as a sidebar, back in 2010, for people who are interested, when Boringer Ringelheim were, were, were bringing up their drug before the FDA advisory committee, they were so confident they were going to get this uh, drug approved, they launched a, a huge marketing campaign just before the the, the meeting. Um, and the marketing campaign was marketing the disorder, not the drug. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the right to market mm. the, the drug, but they were, they were telling the world that HSDD was a condition that affected one in ten women and was a problem caused by an imbalance in brain chemicals. Um, now, I think, I, you know, I think this, is, uh, this is very, very interesting to see pharma, to see pharmaceutical companies essentially try to construct what are common sexual challenges that people have in their sex lives as chemical problems that can be fixed with drugs. 
it's it's a fascinating development. And obviously, the concern behind all of this and why the BMJ is interested in covering this story is that you know many women will get a diagnosis and medication that they don't need. Well, that's that's what Cynthia Graham suggests. That's what people like Cindy Pearson, uh, the you know another of the feminists in America who are interviewed, uh, are concerned about. And that's what people like Leonel Tifa are concerned about. Mm-hmm. And now Susan Scanlon is the chair of Even the Score, mm-hmm. and Susan. She's uh, not a doctor, is she? She's not a doctor. She's a long-time feminist, a long-time campaigner mm-hmm. for women's rights in the United States. We talked at length about many of these issues, and Susan was extremely upfront and open, um, and uh, made some very insightful comments about what's motivated her to join this campaign. And uh, and you know, so I'd, I'd encourage readers to to have a look at that. Um, uh, but but you do have this uh, very interesting alliance emerging between. Uh, women's organisations and uh, and drug companies keen to get their products approved. Yeah, I just wanted to finally ask you, I mean, in all your years, Ray, of um, investigating how drug companies market disease in order to sell products or get products approved in the first place, and does it, does it ever cease to amaze you, the kind of the new twists and turns, um, the new lengths that, that companies will go to? Um, I've got to say, when I heard about this one, Rebecca, I was very surprised. <laughs> Uh, I, I was surprised. Uh, I mean, I have I have worked a lot on pharmaceutical marketing campaigns, and I think what I've come away from when I think it all became clear to me when when I heard about this campaign involving drug companies and the, you know there's a cohort of of sex researchers who are very very close to industry. And I think they've had a lot to do with this campaign as well. They've been working with the drug companies for many, many years, trying to convince the world that this is a widespread uh, disorder or dysfunction that needs to be medicated. Um, And they've failed repeatedly to do that. But I think they are increasingly frustrated and I think they see a real opportunity here uh, because they have a drug company called Sprout that seems to be keen to be very aggressive in the way that they uh, variously try and get this drug approved. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that it, it all sort of clicked for me when I read the bios of the, the board of directors of Sprout Pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Um, and if you look at who this company are, they are very experienced pharmaceutical executives and investment executives mm-hmm. um, you know with with great fairness these people have not spent their lives working on feminist campaigns or on female sexuality they are specialists in drugs in in, in drug marketing and in investment strategies and they according to the business press have raised tens of millions of dollars right with the hope of getting phlebanserin approved. So don't be misled and, uh, by the fact that they're small and you may never have heard of them. I, I think they know what they're doing, <laughs> and uh, you know, and they may well they may well change the face of drug regulation. And just finally, what next with this story then, Ray? Um, a bid to, 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 get, to get the treatment approved is currently before the FDA, and, and when will we find out its fate? Well, look, that that it, it, it's it's all a bit unclear, and and I went to the FDA and asked them. Um, you know, it's one of the first things I did. I yes. went to the FDA and and I, and I and I and I asked them 
you know, I wanted to do an interview and I wanted to know a bit more about this, but I think that because of the nature of their discussions with Sprout Pharmaceuticals, they're not at liberty to make those discussions public. Um, obviously, when things get to an advisory committee stage, everything's public. And, uh, and so one would hope that if the drug does uh, get to that stage, then we will, uh, we will certainly learn a lot more about the latest evidence. So the FDA weren't able to say anything, but, but so all we have to go on is the public relations releases from Sprout Pharmaceuticals. And according to them, they are very optimistic about the latest correspondence from the FDA and they are going away and doing some more studies and they're going to bring those studies back to FDA and uh, the, you know, the language is very optimistic from Sprout. At the same time, the FDA is holding a special two-day workshop, a two-day um, you know, talk event uh, specifically about this issue of how you measure the benefits of drugs in clinical trials for female sexual problems. And that is coming up at the end of October. And that will be a fascinating exploration of some of these issues. Great. Well, we will certainly continue to follow this story. And thank you, Ray, for talking to us about it today. Thanks, Rebecca.